1: You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 89, So Complicated. Today's proverb comes from William James. I'll read it twice. The art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. Once more. The art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. Being wise means deciding That some information just doesn't matter. To be wise, you cannot care about everything. You can't care about everything. Wise men know it. Foolish men don't know it. Foolish men think they're wise for caring about every little thing but the man who cares about every little thing is indecisive, makes no judgment. This is something that I have to prove to my students or that I do prove to them from time to time. And the way I prove this is by showing them that more information is not necessarily helpful. So I run this little experiment with them where I tell them I'm going to describe someone for you I'm going to describe this fictional person to you and I'm going to describe him to you fact by fact and after I give you a fact about a new fact about him I want you to tell me whether you like him or not I want you to tell me whether you approve of this person whether you trust this person whether you're inclined to. And so the students say, all right, fine, game for it. So I open with something very simple, very generic. I say, there's a man named Tom, and he's married. Knowing only this, do you like him? Most students say, yes. Knowing nothing more than that there's a man named Tom, and he's married. We like him right? He's married to a woman named Marie. Do you like him? More or less, now? They say, Marie's a nice name. Like him more. I say, he slaps his wife. Tom slaps his wife. Do you like him now? I say, no, we don't like him. And I say, well, he slaps his wife once. And then apologizes profusely and hasn't slapped her again for 18 years. Do you like him more or less? And they say, well, if that's the case, I guess we like him more. And I say, his wife has cheated on him on four separate occasions. And he has forgiven her free and clear each time. Do you like him more or less? Well, I like him a lot now seems maybe she's worse to him than he is to her, and he endures it. Well, we like him maybe considerably at this point. I say, okay, Tom's very good at his job. Do you like him more or less? Well, we like him more, like him quite a bit now. I say, well, he's a drug dealer. That's his job, that's what he's good at. They're like, well, don't like somebody who's good at dealing drugs. It's one thing to be good at your job if your job's legal, but if your job's illegal, And I say, well, he's a drug dealer. He sells antiviral drugs for cheap on the black market for children who have HIV in third world countries. And they're like, wow, if that's what you meant by drug dealer, that doesn't seem so bad. I think I like him again. I say, well, he also sells ecstasy. And they're like, well, that's not quite the same. What do you mean? Why didn't you say that? No, we don't like him. (laughs) No, we don't like him again. I say, well, he only sells ecstasy to make ends meet because he sells those antiviral drugs at such a low cost. They're like, ugh, wow. I guess we like him again. And around this point, I mean, sometimes we'll go on for five minutes, ten, fifteen. I could go on like this forever, though. I could keep giving you more data about Tom And some of the data would be good and some would be bad. But at some point we have to decide whether we're going to trust Tom or not with whatever it is that we need to trust him with. Doing an errand for us, watching our children while we run to the store. I'm not really talking about Tom, of course. I'm not talking only about Tom. I'm talking about everyone you know. You have to decide with everyone you know whether you're going to trust them or not. And making that judgment, making that judgment about whether you're going to trust someone, means moving beyond what you can see. Judging someone, deciding whether you can trust them, means deciding what all the data Means, not just what the data is, but what it points at. What the data points at beyond itself, beyond its own horizon. And when we decide what it is the data means, we will have to overlook certain aspects of Tom. If we decide that the data really points to Tom being untrustworthy, it means that we're going to overlook some good things about them. When I say overlook those things, I mean quite literally looking over the good things at the bad things behind them. That's what it means to overlook something. To overlook it is to take this more divine perspective, this more lofty perspective, where you see things for what they truly are, not merely what they appear to be. Or... We have to overlook the bad things and judge them good. But beyond those bad things, there's a good heart underneath it all. As a teacher, I'm terribly interested in this. I'm terribly interested in the art of overlooking. Because I have to make judgments about my students, which students I can trust and which I can't. But I also have to Help my students learn the art of overlooking. I think that's what a good teacher is doing. Teaching your students to be wise means teaching them how to overlook and what you can overlook. Now, there is a certain sort of teacher that does not understand this. There's a certain sort of teacher that doesn't understand The art of overlooking. And I would say that this is more often a problem in soft sciences. This is more often a problem in the liberal arts than it is in math and science. Scientists are more comfortable with overlooking. They know that every theory has some outliers. Scientists know this. I learned this in reading... The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. Every scientist knows that every accepted theory cannot account for all the data. And that every theory has an asterisk after it. And that there's data out there that is not supported or cannot be accounted for by the theory. And yet the theory is the best we've got right now. The theory, the dominant theory in whatever field we're talking about, whatever scientific endeavor. The theory is what best accounts for the data, not what completely accounts for all the data. So scientists are good at overlooking data. There's a kind of wisdom in that. It's the sort of wisdom that creates theories that get things done. I think it's really more a problem for liberal arts teachers this inability or this unwillingness to overlook a few things. There is a certain kind of teacher who prides himself in not being able to overlook anything. And what's more, the sort of teacher that's not willing to overlook anything takes his unwillingness to overlook anything as a sign of his honesty and his integrity. This is the sort of teacher who delights in confounding all the judgments that students want to make. So when his students believe a certain thing is good, he wants to sow doubt. When his students believe a certain man is bad, he wants to sow doubt. And the purpose of the doubt is to keep them digging. The purpose of the doubt is to humble them. And you keep digging where you want students to keep digging so that they're not satisfied with what they know. And you want to instill uh, instill in them this desire to keep digging. To teach them humility and to teach them really that digging is good for its own sake. And I think that that's where it's problematic. This idea that digging or that inquiry is good for its own sake and that the more you dig and the more you inquire, the better off you are, which is why it's dangerous, according to such a teacher, to ever reach a conclusion because a conclusion stops the inquiry. A conclusion stops the digging. If you believe that the digging is good and that the acquisition of more data, more facts, more points of view is always good, you also have to believe that every judgment is premature, that every judgment is incomplete. I would say that there's really no point... In attending the classes of such a teacher, the sort of teacher who only teaches inquiry, never teaches conclusions, it ultimately leads students to despair. And why? But because you're never really going to miss anything important. If you miss class on Tuesday, the teacher's only going to prove the same thing on Wednesday. And what the teacher wants to prove is that everything is complicated. And the teacher takes great satisfaction in proving that things are complicated. And that no human judgment can ever account for all the data and that no one ever comes close to knowing all the data. And the sort of teacher hears every opinion expressed and then says, well, but what about, and brings up some straight quote that expresses the opposite opinion. This sort of teacher says it's not that simple whenever he hears any sort of judgment. He never takes responsibility for an opinion or a claim. No claim is ever done enough. It's never thorough enough. And so this is not the sort of teacher that ever makes a definitive claim about anything. This is the teacher who asks questions. But that's it. And whenever the student reaches a conclusion, whenever the student reaches a point of stasis, this sort of teacher never confirms for the student, yes, you've arrived at the correct opinion. Because then the inquiry stops. And the teacher doesn't know what to do once the inquiry stops. The idea that the good teacher does nothing but ask questions is often defended with this idea of the Socratic dialogue. The Socratic dialogue is this endless series of questions. But if you read a Socratic dialogue, you're going to find out about how many questions Socrates actually asks. Socrates comes down on many things definitively. Read the Republic. Read the myth of Ur at the end of the Republic. Bizarre claim about what happens to people when they die. None of it's inquiry-based. It's all definitive. It's dogmatic. Think about the sorts of judgments that everyone wants others to make about us. It's one thing to say that inquiry is good for its own sake and that every judgment is premature, and yet someone has to vindicate this approach to teaching as legitimate, which means that Some sort of conclusion about the helpfulness of Socratic dialogue has to be reached. Something definitive, something final. Think about the sort of judgments we want others to make about us. We want others to say, Joshua Gibbs is a trustworthy man. That's what I want people to say. If someone said, is Josh Gibbs a trustworthy man? I would be embarrassed if the response was, well, what does it mean to be trustworthy? I want to live my life in such a way that the question, is he trustworthy, can be answered, and that people will not feel embarrassed or ashamed to take a stand on it. No, he's not trustworthy. or Yes, he is. The teacher who thinks nothing is ever simple still needs people to judge him a good teacher. Otherwise... The question of whether an inquiry-based class is good enough is not simple, and we can't ever decide on a form of inquiry. The art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook, because without an ability to overlook, no judgment of any kind is ever made. Every judgment is predicated on a belief that you know enough, Now, this is is true, even though no reasonable human being would claim to know all there is to know about anything. There's always more to know. There's always more data that you haven't encountered yet. I judged my wife a woman worthy of marrying. That was not a decision made on Vast oceans of evidence but on some evidence there is always more to know but if you're going to marry someone at a certain point you have to say I know enough yes there's more to know and I'm going to figure it I'm going to figure out all the other things there is to know or begin figuring them out after I make this commitment to you every judgment a human being makes is predicated on this belief that I've seen enough more data is not going to change my mind. That's every judgment you make. More data would not change my mind, especially when you're going to take an oath or a vow, as in marriage, as in Christianity. Most people get baptized before they've read the entire Bible. Most people get become members of the Presbyterian Church before they know everything in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in those cases, you say, well, there's not only more data out there I don't know, there's more important data out there I don't know, but I think I've seen enough to make a decision. Wisdom is an awareness of the essence of a thing. The sinners in Dante's Inferno lived like the sinners in Dante's Purgatoria. And for this reason, the punishments that both sorts of people receive are very similar. However, the sins of the damned were essential to their being. While the sins of those being sanctified on Mount Purgatory, their sins were accidental to their being. Which means that those sins can be stripped away, and yet the man continues to exist it's the wisdom of God that divides the one kind of sinner from the other kind. The sinner whose sins are essential from the sinner whose sins are accidental. While that's the wisdom of God, we're still stuck with needing to make decisions here and now. And in the City of God, Augustine comments somewhere that one of those great crosses of this world is the fact that we have to make decisions based on partial evidence. Incomplete evidence. And that making decisions on incomplete evidence leads to catastrophes regularly. And Augustine says that's just part of life on earth. It's making incomplete, making decisions based on incomplete evidence and having to live with the consequences of it. I've noted this in previous shows. Wise men pick a side Modern people hate being told to pick a side. They want both sides to be right. Modern people want both sides to have merit, and they want to draft on the merits of a thing and its opposite. But this is foolish. Because truly choosing a thing means rejecting its opposite. You haven't really chosen anything unless you've turned your back on everything that opposes that thing that you've chosen. Choosing one thing, truly choosing one thing, not just approving it, not giving it a thumbs up, but choosing one thing means rejecting another thing. And rejecting a thing means hurting someone's feelings. But there is no wisdom in sentimentality